Chapter Twenty Eight of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Twenty Eight. Three days after the dispatch of his letter to Ile Bourbon, Raymond had entirely forgotten both the letter and its purpose. He had felt decidedly better, and had ventured to make a visit in the neighborhood. The estate of Lagny, which Monsieur Delmar had left to be sold for the benefit of his creditors, had been purchased by a wealthy manufacturer, Monsieur Hubert, a shrewd and estimable man, not like all wealthy manufacturers, but like a small number of the newly rich. Raymond found the new owner comfortably settled in that house which recalled so many memories. He took pleasure in giving a free rein to his emotion as he wandered through the garden, where Noun's light footprints seemed to be still visible on the gravel, and through those great rooms which seemed still to retain the echoes of Indiana's soft words. But soon the presence of a new hostess changed the current of his thoughts. In the main salon, on the spot where Madame Delmar was accustomed to sit and work, a tall, slender young woman, with a glance that was at once pleasant and mischievous, caressing and mocking, sat before an easel, amusing herself by copying in watercolors the odd hangings on the walls. The copy was a fascinating thing, a delicate satire instinct with the bantering yet refined nature of the artist she had amused herself by exaggerating the pretentious finicalness of the old frescoes she had grasped the false and shifting character of the age of louis the fourteenth on those stilted figures while refreshing the colors that time had faded she had restored their affected graces their perfume of courtiership their costumes of the boudoir and the shepherd's hut so curiously identical Beside that work of historical raillery, she had written the word, copy. She raised her long eyes, instinct with merriment of a caustic, treacherous, yet attractive sort, slowly to Raymond's face. For some reason she reminded him of Shakespeare's Anne Page. There was in her manner neither timidity, nor boldness, nor affectation, nor self-distrust. Their conversation turned upon the influence of fashion in the arts. "'Is it not true, monsieur, that the moral colouring of the period was in that brush?' she said, pointing to the wainscoting, covered with rustic cupids after the style of Boucher. "'Isn't it true that those sheep do not walk or sleep or browse like sheep of today? And that pretty landscape, so false and so orderly, those clumps of many-petaled roses in the middle of the forest, where naught but a bit of eglantine grows in our days. Those tame birds, of a species that has apparently disappeared, and those pink satin gowns which the sun never faded. Is there not in all these a deal of posy, ideas of luxury and pleasure, of a whole useless, harmless, joyous life? Doubtless, these absurd fictions were quite as valuable as our gloomy political deliverances. If only I had been born in those days, she added with a smile, frivolous and narrow-minded creature that I am, I should have been much better fitted to paint fans and produce masterpieces of threadwork 
than to read the newspapers and understand the debates in the chambers. Monsieur Hubert left the young people together, and their conversation drifted from one subject to another, until it fell at last upon Madame Delmar. "'You were very intimate with our predecessors in this house,' said the young woman, "'and it is generous on your part to come and see new faces here. Madame Delmar,' she added, with a penetrating glance at him, "'was a remarkable woman, so they say. She must have left memories here, which place us at a disadvantage so far as you are concerned.' she was an excellent woman raymond replied unconcernedly and her husband was a worthy man but rejoined the reckless girl she was something more than an excellent woman i should judge if i remember rightly there was a charm about her personality which calls for a more enthusiastic and more poetic description i saw her two years ago at a ball at the spanish ambassador's she was fascinating that night do you remember raymond started at this reminder of the evening that he spoke to indiana for the first time he remembered at the same moment that he had noticed at that ball the distingue features and clever eyes of the young woman with whom he was now talking but he did not then ask who she was not until he had taken his leave of her and was congratulating monsieur hubert on his daughter's charms did he learn her name i have not the good fortune to be her father said the manufacturer but i did the best i could by adopting her do you know my story i have been ill for several months raymond replied and have heard nothing of you beyond the good you have already done in the province there are people said monsieur hubert with a smile who consider that i did a most meritorious thing in adopting mademoiselle de nangy but you monsieur who have elevated ideas will judge whether i did anything more than true delicacy required ten years ago a widower and childless i found myself possessed of funds to a considerable amount the results of my labors which i was anxious to invest i found that the estate and chateau of nangy in bourgogne national property were for sale and suited me perfectly I had been in possession some time when I learned that the former lord of the manor and his seven-year-old granddaughter were living in a hovel in extreme destitution. The old man had received some indemnity, but he had religiously devoted it to the payment of debts incurred during the immigration. I tried to better his condition and to give him a home in my house. But he had retained in his poverty all the pride of his rank he refused to return to the house of his ancestors as an object of charity and died shortly after my arrival having steadfastly refused to accept any favors at my hands then i took his child there the little patrician was proud already and accepted my assistance most unwillingly but at that age prejudices are not deeply rooted and resolutions do not last long she soon accustomed herself to look upon me as her father and I brought her up as my own daughter. She has rewarded me handsomely by the happiness she has showered on my old age. And so, to make sure of my happiness, I have adopted Mademoiselle de Nangy, and my only hope now is to find her a husband worthy of her, and able to manage prudently the property I shall leave her. Encouraged by the interest with which Raymond listened to his confidences, the excellent man in true bourgeois fashion gradually confided all his business affairs to him 
his attentive auditor found that he had a fine large fortune administered with the most minute care and which simply awaited a younger proprietor of more fashionable tastes than the worthy hubert to shine forth in all its splendour he felt that he might be the man destined to perform that agreeable task and he gave thanks to the ingenious fate which reconciled all his interests by offering him by favour of diverse romantic incidents a woman of his own rank possessed of a fine plebeian fortune it was a chance not to be let slip and he put forth all his skill in the effort to grasp it moreover the heiress was charming raymond became more kindly disposed toward his providence as for madame delmar he would not think of her he drove away the fears which the thought of his letter aroused from time to time he tried to persuade himself that poor indiana would not grasp his meaning or would not have the courage to respond to it and he finally succeeded in deceiving himself and believing that he was not blameworthy for raymond would have been horrified to find that he was selfish he was not one of those artless villains who come on the stage to make a naive confession of their vices to their own hearts vice is not reflected in its own ugliness or it would frighten itself in shakespeare's iago who is so true to life in his acts is false in his words being forced by our stage conventions to lay bare himself the secret recesses of his deep and tortuous heart man rarely tramples his conscience under foot thus coolly he turns it over squeezes it pinches it disfigures it and when he has distorted it and exhausted it and worn it out he carries it about with him as an indulgent and obliging mentor which accommodates itself to his passions and his interests but which he pretends always to consult and to fear he went often to lagny therefore and his visits were agreeable to monsieur hubert for as you know raymond had the art of winning affection and soon the rich bourgeois one desire was to call him his son-in-law but he wished that his adopted daughter should choose him freely and that they should be allowed every opportunity to know and judge each other Laure de nangy was in no haste to assure raymond's happiness she kept him perfectly balanced between fear and hope being less generous than madame delmar but more adroit distant yet flattering haughty yet cajoling she was the very woman to subjugate raymond for she was as superior to him in cunning as he was to indiana she soon realized that her admirer craved her fortune much more than herself her placid imagination anticipated nothing better in the way of homage she had too much sense too much knowledge of the world to dream of love when two millions were at stake she had chosen her course calmly and philosophically and she was not inclined to blame raymond she did not hate him because he was of a calculating unsentimental temper like the age in which he lived but she knew him too well to love him she made it a matter of pride not to fall below the standard of that cold and scheming epoch her self-esteem would have suffered had she been swayed by the foolish illusions of an ignorant boarding-school miss she would have blushed at being deceived as at being detected in a foolish act in a word she made her heroism consist in steering clear of love as madame delmar's consisted in sacrificing everything to it mademoiselle de nangy was fully resolved therefore 
to submit to marriage is a social necessity but she took a malicious pleasure in making use of the liberty which still belonged to her and in imposing her authority for some time on the man who aspired to deprive her of it no youth no sweet dreams no brilliant and deceptive future for that girl who was doomed to undergo all the miseries of wealth for her life was a matter of stoical calculation happiness a childish delusion against which she must defend herself as a weakness and an absurdity while raymond was at work building up his fortune indiana was drawing near the shores of france but imagine her surprise and alarm when she landed to see the tricolored flag floating on the walls of bordeaux the city was in a state of violent agitation the prefect had been almost murdered the night before the populace were rising on all sides the garrison seemed to be preparing for a bloody conflict and the result of the revolution was still unknown i have come too late was the thought that fell upon madame delmar like a stroke of lightning in her alarm she left on board the little money and the few clothes that she possessed and ran about through the city in a state of frenzy she tried to find a diligence for paris but the public conveyances were crowded with people who were either escaping or going to claim a share in the spoils of the vanquished not until evening did she succeed in finding a place as she was stepping into the coach an improvised patrol of national guards objected to the departure of the passengers and demanded to see their papers indiana had none while she argued against the absurd suspicions of the triumphant party she heard it stated all about her that the monarchy had fallen that the king was a fugitive and that the ministers had been massacred with all their adherents this news proclaimed with laughter and stamping and shouts of joy dealt madame delmar a deadly blow in the whole revolution she was personally interested in but one fact in all france she knew but one man she fell on the ground in a swoon and came to herself in a hospital several days later after two months she was discharged without money or linen or effects weak and trembling exhausted by an inflammatory brain fever which had caused her life to be despaired of several times when she found herself in the street alone hardly able to walk without friends resources or strength when she made an effort to recall the particulars of her situation and realized that she was hopelessly lost in that great city she had an indescribable thrill of terror and despair as she thought that raymond's fate had long since been decided and that there was not a solitary person about her who could put an end to her horrible uncertainty the horror of desertion bore down with all its might upon her crushed spirit and the apathetic despair born of hopeless misery gradually deadened all her faculties in the mental numbness which she felt stealing over her she dragged herself to the harbor and shivering with fever sat down on a stone to warm herself in the sunshine gazing listlessly at the water plashing at her feet she sat there several hours devoid of energy of hope of purpose but suddenly she remembered her clothes and her money which she had left on the eugene and which she might possibly recover but it was nightfall and she dared not go among the sailors who were just leaving their work with much rough merriment and question them concerning the ship desiring on the other hand to avoid the attention she was beginning to attract she left the quay 
and concealed herself in the ruins of a house recently demolished behind the great esplanade of les quinconces there cowering in a corner she passed that cold october night a night laden with bitter thoughts and alarms at last the day broke hunger made itself felt insistent and implacable she decided to ask alms her clothes although in wretched condition still indicated more comfortable circumstances than a beggar is supposed to enjoy people looked at her curiously suspiciously ironically and gave her nothing again she dragged herself to the quays inquired about the eugene and learned from the first waterman she addressed that she was still in the roadstead she hired him to put her aboard and found random at breakfast well well my fair passenger he cried so you have returned from paris already you have come in good time for i sail to-morrow shall i take you back to bourbon he informed madame delmar that he had caused search to be made for her everywhere that he might return what belonged to her but indiana had not a scrap of paper upon her from which her name could be learned when she was taken to the hospital she had been entered on the books there and also on the police books under the designation unknown so the captain had been unable to learn anything about her the next day despite her weakness and exhaustion indiana started for paris her anxiety should have diminished when she saw the turn political affairs had taken but anxiety does not reason and love is fertile in childish fears on the very evening of her arrival at paris she hurried to raymond's house and questioned the concierge in an agony of apprehension monsieur is quite well was the reply he is at lagny at lagny you mean at cercy do you not no madame at lagny which he owns now dear raymond thought indiana he has bought that estate to afford me a refuge where public malice cannot reach me he knew that i would come drunk with joy she hastened light of heart and instinct with new life to take apartments in a furnished house and devoted the night and part of the next day to rest it was so long since the unfortunate creature had enjoyed a peaceful sleep her dreams were sweet and deceptive and when she woke she did not regret them for she found hope at her pillow she dressed with care she knew that raymond was particular about all the minutiae of the toilet and she had ordered the night before a pretty new dress which was brought to her just as she rose but when she was ready to arrange her hair she sought in vain the long and magnificent tresses she had once had during her illness they had fallen under the nurse's shears she noticed it then for the first time her all-engrossing thoughts had diverted her mind so completely from small things nevertheless when she had curled her short black locks about her pale and melancholy brow when she had placed upon her shapely head a little english hat called then by way of allusion to the recent blow to great fortunes a three per cent when she had fastened at her girdle a bunch of the flowers whose perfume raymond loved she hoped that she would still find favor in his sight for she was as pale and fragile as in the first days of their acquaintance and the effect of her illness had effaced the traces of the tropical sunshine she hired a cab in the afternoon and arrived about nine at night at a village on the outskirts of fontainebleau there she ordered the driver to put up his horse and wait for her until the next day and started off alone on foot 
by a path which led to Logny Park by a walk of less than quarter of an hour through the woods. She tried to open the small gate, but found it locked on the inside. It was her wish to enter by stealth, to avoid the eyes of the servants, and take Raymond by surprise. She skirted the park wall. It was quite old. She remembered that there were frequent breaches, and by good luck she found one and passed over without much difficulty. When she stood upon ground which belonged to Raymond, and was to be thenceforth her refuge, her sanctuary, her fortress, and her home, her heart leaped for joy. With light, triumphant foot she hastened along the winding paths she knew so well. She reached the English garden, which was dark and deserted on that side. Nothing was changed in the flower-beds. But the bridge, the painful sight of which she dreaded, had disappeared, and the course of the stream had been altered. The spots which might have recalled Noun's death had been changed, and no others. He wished to banish that cruel memory, thought Indiana. He was wrong. I could have endured it. Was it not for my sake that he planted the seeds of remorse in his life? Henceforth we are quits, for I too have committed a crime. I may have caused my husband's death. Raymond can open his arms to me. We will take the place of innocence and virtue to each other. She crossed the stream on boards laid across where a bridge was to be built, and passed through the flower garden. She was forced to stop, for her heart was beating as if it were burst. She looked up at the windows of her old bedroom. Oh, bliss! A light was shining through the blue curtains. Raymond was there, as if he could occupy any other room. The door to the secret stairway was open. He expects me at any time, she thought. He will be happy, but not surprised. At the top of the staircase she paused again to take breath. She felt less strong to endure joy than sorrow. She stooped and looked through the keyhole. Raymond was alone, reading. It was really he. It was Raymond overflowing with life and vigor. His trials had not aged him. The tempest of politics had not taken a single hair from his head. There he sat, placid and handsome, his head resting on his white hand, which was buried in his black hair. Indiana impulsively tried the door, which opened without resistance. "'You expected me!' she cried, falling on her knees, and resting her feeble head upon Raymond's bosom. "'You counted the months and days. You knew that the time had passed, but you knew, too, that I could not fail to come at your call. You called me, and I am here. I am here. I am dying!' Her ideas became tangled in her brain, for some time she knelt there, silent, gasping for breath, incapable of speech or thought. Then she opened her eyes, recognized Raymond as if just waking from a dream, uttered a cry of frantic joy, and pressed her lips to his, wild, ardent, and happy. He was pale, dumb, motionless, as if struck by lightning. "'Speak to me in heaven's name,' she cried. "'It is I, your Indiana.' your slave whom you recalled from exile and who has travelled three thousand leagues to love you and serve you it is your chosen companion who has left everything risked everything defied everything to bring you this moment of joy you are happy you are content with her are you not i am waiting for my reward with a word a kiss i shall be paid a hundredfold but raymond did not reply 
his admirable presence of mind had abandoned him he was crushed with surprise remorse and terror when he saw that woman at his feet he hid his face in his hands and longed for death my god my god you don't speak to me you don't kiss me you have nothing to say to me cried madame delmar pressing raymond's knees to her breast is it because you cannot joy makes people ill it kills sometimes i know ah oh, you are not well you are suffocating i surprised you too suddenly try to look at me see how pale i am how old i have grown how i have suffered but it was for you and you will love me all the better for it say one word to me raymond just one i would like to weep said raymond in a stifled tone and so would i said she covering his hands with kisses ah yes that would do you good weep weep on my bosom and i will wipe your tears away with my kisses i have come to bring you happiness to be whatever you choose your companion your servant or your mistress formerly i was very cruel very foolish very selfish i made you suffer terribly and i refused to understand that i demanded what was beyond your strength but since then i have reflected and as you are not afraid to defy public opinion with me i have no right to refuse to make any sacrifice dispose of me of my blood of my life as you will i am yours body and soul i have travelled three thousand leagues to tell you this to give myself to you take me i am your property you are my master i cannot say what infernal project passed rapidly through raymond's brain he removed his clenched hands from his face and looked at indiana with diabolical sang-froid then a wicked smile played about his lips and made his eyes gleam for indiana was still lovely first of all we must conceal you he said rising why conceal me here she said aren't you at liberty to take me in and protect me who have no one but you on earth and who without you shall be compelled to beg on the public highway why even society can no longer call it a crime for you to love me i have taken everything on my own shoulders but where are you going she cried as she saw him walking toward the door she clung to him with the terror of a child who does not wish to be left alone a single instant and dragged herself along on her knees behind him his purpose was to lock the door but he was too late the door opened before he could reach it and laurie de nangy entered she seemed less surprised than exasperated and did not utter an exclamation but stooped a little to look with snapping eyes at the half-fainting woman on the floor then with a cold bitter scornful smile she said madame delmar you seem to enjoy placing three persons in a very strange situation but i thank you for assigning me the least ridiculous role of the three and this is how i discharge it be good enough to retire indignation renewed indiana's strength she rose and drew herself up to her full height who is this woman pray she said to raymond and by what right does she give me orders in your house you are in my house madame retorted laurie speak in heaven's name monsieur cried indiana fiercely shaking the wretched man's arm tell me whether she is your mistress or your wife 
"'She is my wife,' Raymon replied with a dazed air. "'I forgive your uncertainty,' said Madame de Ramière with a cruel smile. "'If you had remained where your duty required you to remain, "'you would have received cards to Monsieur's marriage. "'Come, Raymond,' she added in a tone of sarcastic amiability. "'I am moved to pity by your embarrassment. "'You are rather young. "'You will realize now, I trust, that more prudence is advisable. "'I leave it for you to put an end to this absurd scene. "'I would laugh at it if you didn't look so utterly wretched.' "'With that she withdrew.' well satisfied with the dignity she had displayed, and secretly triumphant, because the incident had placed her husband in a position of inferiority and dependence with regard to her. When Indiana recovered the use of her faculties, she was alone in a closed carriage, being driven rapidly toward Paris. End of chapter 28